This episode will be discussing some difficult subject matter, including violence. Listener discretion is advised. I was born and raised in Canada, in Toronto, actually. And growing up here, I always felt that I could celebrate the many dimensions of what makes up who I am. I am Eritrean, I am Canadian, I am Muslim. These three facets of my identity have sometimes been in conflict, but I never felt that these aspects of who I am were not welcome in Canada. This is in part because of the diversity and multiculturalism of Toronto. My best friends growing up were Vietnamese and Jamaican. My classrooms looked like the United Nations. We were people from all over the world. This was until September 11th, 2001. It's one of those days, if you were alive, that you'll never forget. I was in grade 8, and we were dismissed from school early. My brothers and I raced home and put on the TV, looking forward to getting to watch more television than usual. But every single channel was showing the same thing on a loop. It was footage of a plane crashing into a building. My parents came home, sat in front of the TV, and watched in stunned silence as this act of terrorism took place on American soil. Their shock was the first time that it really hit home, that something very serious has happened. In the days that followed, the stories we heard more and more about were the stories of Muslim children being bullied for their faith, we heard about attacks on Muslim families in the West, and this was all so confusing. I'm a Muslim, and I couldn't feel more removed from what happened in the U.S. So how was it that people who practiced the same faith as me and lived in the West were somehow responsible? This was the first time I felt othered for being Muslim in Canada. This is the No Nonsense Anti-Racism Podcast, and today we're talking about Islamophobia in Canada. Before we dive in, let's unpack and define Islamophobia. According to a report submitted to the Standing Committee on Canadian Heritage titled Islamophobia in Canada, they define Islamophobia as an unfounded or irrational fear and or hatred of Islam or Muslims or people perceived to be Muslim, leading to violence and systemic discrimination. Islamophobia can lead to hate speech, hate crimes, or social and political discrimination. It's used to rationalize policies against Muslims like mass surveillance, incarceration, disenfranchisement, and often informs domestic and foreign policy. Islamophobia can and does intersect with other systems of racism, such as anti-black racism, meaning some Muslims experience multiple and diverse kinds of discrimination. According to the Human Rights Commission, Islamophobia can be described as stereotypes, bias, or acts of hostility toward individual Muslims or followers of Islam in general. In addition to the individual acts of intolerance and racial profiling, Islamophobia leads to viewing Muslims as a greater security threat on an institutional, systemic, and societal level. There's been a lot of research done to gauge public perception of Canadians about Muslims, And the survey results are not good. According to an Angus Reid survey in 2017, 46% of Canadians said that they have an unfavorable view of Islam, more than for any other religious tradition. Fewer than half of Canadians would find it acceptable for one of their children to marry a Muslim. 
also lower than for any other religious group. Another survey in 2017 found 56% of Canadians believe that Islam suppresses women's rights. And therefore, 47% of Canadians support banning headscarves in public, compared, actually, interestingly enough, with 30% of Americans. Another survey in 2012 found 42% of Canadians think discrimination against Muslims is mainly their fault. When you watch the media, you do get a sense of where some of this hostility comes from. There have been multiple analysis of Canadian and American media, and they have shown that Islam and Muslims receive disproportionately negative coverage. For example, a study of the Globe and Mail by communication studies professor Yasmin Jawani found 66 articles on the Shafia family honor killings case alone, but only 59 on the murder of women and domestic violence in general from 2005 to 2012. Another example is that the Quebec mosque shooting in 2017 received about five minutes of airtime on CBC's flagship news program, The National, the night that it occurred, while the London borough attacks in the United Kingdom that same year received several hours of live reportage and commentary. Islamophobia is often seen in media representations, but it also shows up in interpersonal relationships and in the workplace, for example, as microaggressions. It shows up as bullying and othering in schools. And when it comes to hate instances, according to Statistics Canada, there were 159 police-reported hate crimes against Muslims in 2015. And the number of anti-Muslim hate crimes more than tripled just from three years earlier. There is not a lot of available data on hate incidences in Canada because only a small proportion, about a third, of these kind of crimes are reported. And not all hate incidences are deemed as hate crimes and are therefore not tracked or recorded. One of the starkest examples of violence against Muslims was the January 2017 Quebec mosque shooting. On January 29th, six Muslims were killed and five were critically injured in a shooting attack on the Islamic Cultural Center of Quebec. It is the most fatal act of ideology linked violence in Canada since 1989. It was not the first time that the mosque had been targeted. The mosque had previously been the target of other hateful instances. For example, a severed pig's head was left outside the mosque in June 2016, only about six months earlier. They were also targeted again after the attack in January. A defaced Quran and hateful notes were sent to the mosque six months after the shooting. And one month after that, the mosque's president's car was set on fire in addition to a steady stream of hateful messages that they receive constantly. Many of these incidents didn't get the same kind of news coverage. Also, let's talk about institutional Islamophobia. Government reports on national security by Public Safety Canada and the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, called CSIS, focus almost exclusively on Muslim individuals and organizations as the source of terrorism. According to the Ontario Human Rights Commission report on racial profiling, young Muslims have been targeted for monitoring by CSIS or police intelligence because of participation in activism for causes like Palestinian rights. The National Council of Canadian Muslims notes that 
15% of the human rights complaints it received in 2014, for example, were from Muslims who were turned away from border crossings without any explanations. Now, the data is from as recent as 2012, but this kind of discrimination against Muslims is not new. But you'd be wrong to think that Muslims haven't lived in this country very long. There is a rich, deep, and long history of Muslims living in Canada. An 1871 census recorded only 13 Muslims in Canada. This increased to 645 by 1931, mostly due to immigrants from Lebanon, Albania, Syria, Yugoslavia, and Turkey. And many came during the fall of the Ottoman Empire looking for work. After World War II, the number rose to 33,370 by 1971. Again, many of these arrivants were working professionals looking to settle in Canada for economic prosperity. Some were fleeing from discrimination from their country of origin. Early Muslims concentrated in Ontario and Alberta, and in about the 1930s, started to shift more to Quebec as well. Most Muslims who arrived after 1960 settled in urban areas, and more than 70% of Canada's Muslims are now concentrated in Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver. In Ontario, the oldest community of Muslims is in London, Ontario, according to Hassan Munir, an Islamic history researcher and founder of iHistory. Lac La Biche in Alberta also became a community where Muslims would settle. The first mosque in Canada officially opened December 12, 1938, in Edmonton, Alberta. It served as a religious and community center. In the early 1930s in Edmonton, a group of Muslim women had approached the mayor to inquire about buying land for a mosque, and this was led by the activism of Hilwe Hamdan, a Lebanese Muslim woman. In the late 1800s and early 1900s, several families from the Beka Valley in what was Syria, now Lebanon, migrated to Canada, and by the 1930s, some Lebanese Arab families formed businesses in Edmonton. A group of Arab business people, led by Hilwe Hamdan, bargained with the mayor of Edmonton for land. She had gone door-knocking to solicit funds to construct the mosque and drew support from all over the city and from people of all faiths. The Muslim community was growing, so they needed about $5,000 for land and managed to fundraise that amount. Edmonton became a city that attracted Muslim families, and the population reached over 160,000 by the early 1980s. One challenge of a growing Islamic community is that post 9-11, the mosque in Edmonton was monitored quite heavily by the Canadian Secret Intelligence Service. Islam is the fastest growing religion in the world, and it is also the fastest growing religious group in Canada. There are now slightly over 1 million individuals who identify themselves as Muslim. This only represents, though, 3.2% of the nation's total population. Let's talk a little bit about one of the first Muslims to come to Canada. His name was Mahoma Bakwaka. Mahoma Bakwaka was a Muslim man from West Africa. He was enslaved as a young man in Brazil and shipped to the United States. As a free man, Bakwaka eventually made his way to Chatham, Ontario, where in 1854, a local man helped him to document his life in a biography. His biography is the only known biography of a former slave from Brazil. Mohamo was born around 1824 in modern-day Benin to a Muslim merchant family. He was captured in 1845 while acting as a messenger for a local king and taken to Recife, Brazil. 
He was later transported to New York, where local abolitionists helped to secure his freedom in 1847. A few years later, he moved to Chatham, Ontario, Canada, and it's in 1854 that his bio was taken as an oral narration recorded in Portuguese. The target audience of the biography was was the anti-slavery population of the United States, because these kind of slave narratives eventually helped to abolish slavery in the United States and around the world. In 1855, Bakwaka left Canada and traveled to Great Britain, intending to return to Africa. He did later in his life convert to Christianity, but he is the first documented Muslim in Canada. Another really interesting story of an early Muslim um, Canadian is the story of Ali Abu Chadi. In 1905, Ali Abu Chadi came as a teenager with his uncle from Lebanon. He worked in Canada as a peddler and a fur trader before opening a general store in Lac La Biche, Alberta. Abu Chadi married a Cree woman and traded along the Mackenzie River. Another man from Lebanon named Bedouin Ferran, but who was known in Canada as Peter Baker, came in 1910 and became a successful fur trader despite facing discrimination. Many Muslim immigrants to Canada out west had very positive relationships with indigenous people, putting them at odds with... With European settlers, Bedouin Ferran in particular was put at odds with the Hudson Bay Company. He was getting pressure from the Hudson's Bay Company to stop trading furs and was getting pressure from the Interior Minister of Canada because they made it a law that they couldn't go into Indigenous communities to trade. They had to stay in cities. Bedouin Ferran fought this and eventually became a politician in Canada. We are going to take a short break and we will be right back. We are so grateful for the support of listeners like you. Please continue to engage with us on social media. We love hearing from you. One way that you can support the No Nonsense Anti-Racism Podcast is to write us a review. Write us a review wherever you listen to podcasts, particularly Apple Podcasts and Google. This helps us get factual, contextual, relevant information out into the universe as far as we can. So please do take a few minutes out of your day and write us a review. We would love you for it. Despite Muslims living in Canada for decades and for generations, Islamophobia is on the rise. Muslims have become highly visible in the public eye since the terrorist attacks of September 11th, 2001 in particular. Fear from this event triggered existing perceptions of Muslims as different and reinforced stereotypes of violence and terrorism. Although the term Islamophobia has been around for a long time, post 9-11, the term became much more familiar. I'm really grateful to have been joined by Mohammed Hashim, the executive director of the Canadian Race Relations Foundation. I wanted to hear some of his thoughts on this topic, as he has worked a lot on this topic of Islamophobia in particular. Mohammed Hashim is the executive director of the Canadian Race Relations Foundation and a founding advisor of the Canadian Anti-Hate Network. He also sits on the board of trustees of the United Way of Greater Toronto. Mr. Hashim has worked as a labor organizer and human rights advocate for over a decade, dedicating his career to supporting equity, inclusion, and empowering communities. Thank you for joining, Mohammed. Thanks for having me. Of course. So please introduce yourself in your own words. I've been an organizer for the last 20 years. I've, you know, I've organized in community spaces, in university spaces, in nonprofit spaces, in union spaces. I think I see myself as an organizer. 
first and foremost. I think that's what I, what I do. Um, and what does that mean in terms of being an organizer? I think that change doesn't just happen. Change happens because people come together to do so. And I think organizers are folks that can see what the landscape looks like, uh, have a bit of experience of knowing what to move and how to move and where to move it. Um, and then bringing the right people together to create like a nice formula to move the bar forward, whether that be legislation, whether that be programs, whether that be um, whatever it might be. So, I mean, most of my career has been uh, within the labor movement. Uh, and that's because the politics of that movement are something uh, I love and subscribe to. I want to see social justice in this world. I want to see economic success for everybody and want there to be fairness in the workplace. And I want there to be a sense of dignity and respect uh, given to all working people. And that's kind of who I am in a nutshell. A lot, a lot there. So it's really good to hear. I mean, especially since we, I, I read your bio, of course, and it's its going to color a lot of um, the work that you do, but it's always good to hear too what the values are at the heart of the work that you're doing. So social justice, economic empowerment, uh, and really putting people at the center of the work. So I want to ask, what does being a Muslim Canadian mean to you? You are an organizer. You do a lot of work in the Muslim community and outside of it in social justice in general. But as a Muslim Canadian, what does this mean to you? I think it's an evolving thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> I think, you know, like when I was young, I wasn't very Muslim-y. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, kind of just being a punk kid and growing up in an environment that, you know, I didn't, I mean, I didn't feel like, um, I mean, I wasn't surrounded by a lot of, you know, spirituality or, or faith. I, for me, it was, it was mostly when I came into university that I started, you know, learning more about it and was really inspired by people around me about it. And then finding uh, my sense of spirituality through that, um, which was at the same time as my own like, political awakenings. Um, yeah, I grew up to the anti-globalization movement and, um, and talking about fair trade and, um, you know, neoliberalism. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's that's the world I grew up in and uh at that time you know it was also post 9-11 where like my sense of I, I you know I felt counter-cultured mm -hmm. uh, not just by the politics that I espoused but by also the way I looked and my name and I think you know those things formed my sense of what a Canadian Muslim uh was at the at the onset but I think over time you know, as like post 9-11, we saw the rise of Islamophobia and it getting institutionalized and, um, and you know, the political rhetoric around Canadian Muslims, particularly, or Muslims anywhere, right, in the West, um, start started getting really hostile. And in a way, um, my sense of community grew deeper because of that sense of uh othering because i was like how dare you <laughs> you know like yeah. how, how dare you i mean i mean this is my, these are my folks how could you possibly that's rude mm -hmm. come on now I, I you know i felt a sense of community and affinity right like that's where like the love came for my like for my community and like for this type of work came because it was others telling me i was not allowed to be 
something that I felt I inherently had a right to be. I can identify with that a lot. Growing up in Toronto as a Muslim, I never felt othered until 9-11, really. Uh, Yeah, up until that point, I had never felt in danger, othered. I never grew up necessarily with this idea of what a Muslim Canadian was until other people started pointing it out um, and tried to define what being a Muslim Canadian was. Um, so the audacity of that was was quite transformative. Yeah, I mean, like, who are they to tell me who I'm supposed to be? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I had no idea. There's no definition of what a Muslim Canadian is either. <laughs> so it was a yeah. trick question, in fairness. Being a Muslim Canadian or Canadian Muslim, whatever way you want to say it. So first of all, if we, had, if I, if we try to dissect this a little bit, it's like, okay, you know, we have Pakistani Canadians, we have Somali mm-hmm. Canadians, we have this, that. What is a Muslim Canadian? Mm-hmm. Is like is a Muslim Canadian a political identity? Mm-hmm. Is it a religious identity? Is it like what kind of identity is it? Uh, and I think that is it an identity of pain? Mm-hmm. Like because like to be frank, like if you're if you're a black Muslim versus a brown Muslim versus an Arab Muslim, your experience here in Canada is very different. Very yeah, very very different. Is the Muslim Canadian term used as a broader it kind of it's kind of based on in my opinion defined by the experience of islamophobia and a political identity mm-hmm. because like it was like all of a sudden canadian muslims are finding themselves as hold on a second we're all getting the same thing around mm-hmm. islamophobia maybe we should define ourselves as canadian muslim in order to find our collective voice in order to express our collective pain Dr. Osman Jamil, who wrote a report called Discrimination Experienced by Muslims in Ontario for the Ontario Human Rights Commission, is quoted as saying, in quotes, Islamophobia does not stem only from the events of 9-11, but is part of the pre-existing ways in which Muslims are perceived as different from the larger society. As I had mentioned earlier, Islamophobia shows up in our workplaces schools, and in our elections, and have very real impacts on Muslim Canadians. We are being discriminated against in the workplace for choosing to wear headscarves, for example, as seen in Quebec and Europe. Children are being bullied at school, and Muslims face greater scrutiny while traveling. There's also higher levels of physical violence against Muslims. In August 2020, a Toronto mosque faced its sixth vandalism attack, They've had their building broken into multiple times. Months later, a 58-year-old man was stabbed and killed outside a nearby but different mosque. A month after that, a third mosque received threats that its congregation will be the target of a mass shooting. As I had mentioned earlier, on January 29, 2017, six Muslim men were shot dead in a Quebec City mosque. The perpetrator, an armed white nationalist terrorist, went on a shooting rampage in the Islamic Cultural Center in Saint-Foy, Quebec, just after evening prayers. The shooter was Alexandre Bissonnette. He had browsed sites linked to white nationalist ideologies. He made over 800 searches of Donald Trump. He confessed to be motivated by Prime Minister Trudeau's message of welcome to refugees after Trump's travel ban on seven Muslim-majority countries. Alexandre Bissonnette was sentenced to 40 years in prison with no parole. Unfortunately, Statistics Canada has found that hate crimes against Muslims in Quebec specifically tripled 
to 117 in 2017 from 41 in 2016, so just one year. And then, of course, one of the starkest examples of hate crimes against Muslims was the London, Ontario attack on June 6th of this year. Nathaniel Veltman, a 20-year-old London man, has been charged with four counts of first-degree murder and one count of attempted murder, as well as a terrorism charge in connection to the attack. Police alleged that Veltman was driving a pickup truck that mounted a curb and hit the family who were out for a walk. Four of the family members died, and one member survived with injuries. Police say that it was an act of hate. Veltman had no connection to the family whatsoever. The family was targeted because of their Muslim faith. The family names of the victims include Yumna Salman, who was 15, her mother, Madiha Salman, who was 44, her father, Salman Afzal, who was 46, and their grandmother, Talat Afzal, who was 74. The youngest member of the family, Fayez Afzal, was recently released from hospital. He's only nine years old. Even if not this extreme form of violence, Many Muslims in Canada have experienced some form of hate, whether it's being shouted at to go back home or having hijabs being pulled off in public. My mom wears a hijab, and let me tell you, there have been many sleepless nights worrying about her being attacked while riding the subway or while walking downtown to work. She is a feisty five foot three woman, but we shouldn't have to worry about these kinds of things happening. Violence towards Muslims have continued since the attack in London, Ontario, just a month ago. You would think that all of these nice comments and support from people in the community would mean less violence, but this is not the case. Just weeks after the attack on the family in London, Ontario, Muslim women have been attacked in Edmonton, Alberta, yelled at on the street and harassed, physically attacked even. Two people allegedly tried to break into a mosque in Scarborough and threatened members while doing it. Right now, it's the summer of 2021, and I don't think I've ever seen as many Islamophobic attacks, Mm -hmm. violent attacks, as I've seen, as I'm seeing right now. Mm -hmm. You know, what what you hear in the news is a fraction of what's happening, Mm -hmm. uh, because most families don't want their names to be on newspapers. Something will happen, like they'll either file a police report and say, like, we don't want it publicized or they don't, Most many families don't believe that the police are going to act upon anything. So therefore, the vast majority don't respond that way. But the level of violence that we're even hearing just in the news uh, should be understood that this is strictly a fraction of what's happening. I think, you know, according to NCCM, 13 violent incidents have happened in Edmonton alone this year, 13 of where women were being attacked mm-hmm. physically. Violent. Maybe we've heard about two or three of them in the news, which has gotten people worried. But the reality is far deeper than what we're seeing right now. And, you know, after Trump got lost the presidency, I, I felt that the microphone that he had being taken away would lower the temperature. Mm-hmm. And that we would see a decline in Islamophobia. And I don't think in Canada... There are many politicians, there are some for sure, that are stoking Islamophobic narratives. I think, you know, federally, at least, there's not too many. So with those big microphones being taken away, what is driving this violence is something that, um, that is very difficult to comprehend. Because what 
it means is that even without the stoking, that level of hate is now seeped into people enough to have violent outbursts. I didn't think we would see London, Ontario. Mm-hmm. I think I think London, Ontario's the murder of those four individuals and even the nine-year-old boy orphaned was more shocking to me than Quebec City. And it just became a very visible reminder of how this type of hate doesn't happen strictly because of political voices trying to other, but mm-hmm. because sometimes these things go very deep into mm-hmm. people's like hearts and minds. And that will take a lot more time to deal with than the political voices saying, like stopping the negative rhetoric. Some experts are saying that Islamophobia and anti-Muslim sentiment has almost become a norm in Canada and that the violence against Muslims is often overlooked, excused, and accepted even on a social and political level. And this, of course, is not acceptable. And the Muslim community and its allies have been calling on politicians to take a tougher stance on overt and covert Islamophobia that even they themselves often perpetuate. Politicians and the media fuel hate and are a part of the problem, as you probably have seen and noticed. For example, Bill 21 in Quebec sends the message that discrimination against certain groups is okay. This bill was passed in Quebec in June 2019, forbidding any employees of the state, including judges, police officers, or teachers, from wearing religious symbols at work. Of course, targeting religious minorities, such as Muslims who wear the hijab, and Hindu Sikh who may wear turbans. The media often shows really negative representations of Muslims. And and if you go onto any online space, Muslims are being dehumanized. This prompts the call for action on online hate, but the progress has been slow. In relation to politics, politicians specifically add fuel to this fire of Islamophobia. Who remembers the barbaric practices hotline from former Prime Minister Stephen Harper in 2015? All to score some political points. Parliamentarians condemned Islamophobia in 2017 after the terrorist attack on the Quebec City Mosque. The House of Commons passed a motion called M103, which sought to identify and root out hate against Muslims. It aims to condemn and combat Islamophobia, acts of discrimination, and hate against Muslims. The motion was introduced by a Liberal MP, Iker Khalid, and called for the federal government to do three things specifically. One, to condemn Islamophobia and all forms of systemic racism and religious discrimination. Two, to quell the increasing public climate of hate and fear. And thirdly, to compel the Commons Heritage Committee to develop a government-wide approach for reducing and eliminating systemic racism and religious discrimination, including Islamophobia. M103 is a non-binding private member's motion, and it sparked a lot of debate before its approval, because opponents of the bill argued that this motion limited freedom of expression and singled out Muslims for special treatment under Canadian law. In 2018, a Heritage Committee released a report on systemic racism and religious discrimination, including Islamophobia. The report included 30 recommendations. For example, create a national action plan against systemic racism, religious discrimination, and Islamophobia. To improve data collection of hate crimes. 
and to develop new education and training programs. And in 2019, Canada did launch a national anti-racism strategy that lists Islamophobia specifically as a form of discrimination. However, it didn't include specific measures to combat it. In recent times, there has been a bigger push to crack down on online hate, especially since the attack in London last month, and the subsequent surge in hate crimes against Muslims that happened afterwards. But also, in relation to the anti-Asian hate crimes we're seeing and the anti-Black racism advocacy happening from around the world. It's too soon to say what the outcome is, but the tiniest of baby steps is happening. One thing I'll add is that global conversations sparked by the death of George Floyd definitely has a part to play. It's often the activism of the Black community that sparks change for all discriminated groups, and we've seen this throughout history. A rising tide lifts all boats, and as a Black Muslim woman, I feel this much more viscerally because I see and experience anti-Muslim hate, and I see and experience anti-Black hate. There is anti-Black racism in the Muslim community. That needs its own episode to unpack because white supremacy lives and breathes throughout all the Muslim countries in the world, too. But Islamophobia is a specific form of discrimination. But support from allies from all faiths, corners of this country, and communities is how we tackle it. The Muslim community cannot act alone or create sustainable change alone. It also feels cyclical. Something horrible happens to Muslims. There's shock. It wears off. It happens again. We really need to get out of this cycle. It needs to be taken more seriously. What are more ways that you think we can tackle growing Islamophobia in Canada? Art, I think, uh, and culture. Uh, To me, what's some of the most inspiring stuff is when I see young artists grapple with their struggles of being Canadian and Muslim. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because in that grappling, they are both defining who they are, who they're not, who they want to be, who they think we are. uh, And that that complication of things uh, is where growth happens, not just for us within the community, because we have to think about what they mean by those things. But by society who say, who look at those things and say, oh, is that, is that like Canadian art? Or is that like, mm-hmm. like a Canadian Muslim art? What is that? What does that mm-hmm. mean? Because <laughs> um, storytellers shaped our, shape our understandings. And I think that that is an avenue that, because right now, to be frank, Canadian Muslim has been defined through advocacy. You know, I my office is in the Japanese Canadian Cultural Center, and their motto for the Cultural Center is friendship through culture. And and the Japanese community was ripped apart in Canada during World War II because of the internment. And in response to that, their response was friendship through culture. But I think that you know the next generation of young Canadian Muslims. It's so much better than my generation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I did make a note of that. Like the youth, the youth of the future. Yeah, they're just not taking any any nonsense, right? There's like none of that. I, you know, like I come correct or don't come at all. Mm -hmm. And um, and I love it because I think that like that level of like staunchness Mm -hmm. is um 
it's something that, you know, my generation never grew up, but we were kind of grateful to be here versus mm-hmm. thinking that we just, we naturally thinking that we deserve to be here. Mm-hmm. That was not a natural sentiment to, to some of the people within my generation. I, I can't speak for the entire generation, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I feel that to be true, but the next generation is just like, I'm here. This is my, like, like this is my nation. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, am going to stand up for Indigenous sovereignty. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stand up for Black lives. I'm going to stand up for, uh, against hate, against any group. And um, if you don't like it, well, that's, your, that's on you, homie, not me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that's inspiring to me, for me to see. Agreed. The confidence, the, yeah, fearlessness. And perhaps it is just... I mean, I think, I don't know if it means that we're getting older, but I think that like every generation of, of young people has, uh, has had their moment. And it's really lovely to see the young people who are, who are standing up and, and taking up space fearlessly. It is, it is, I think there's a lot of lessons. I, I am really impressed by them too. Yeah. I think like my job is to just stay out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that, you know, like I even, I was told when I first started doing this work is, you know, don't go outside, don't go to protests, don't organize this, don't do this, you know, all those different things. Just be a good student, you know, mm-hmm. get your accounting job, become an accountant. <laughs> you know? Keep your head down. Don't get into any trouble. Yep. Just study and just do, you know, just, just, you know, all that. And like, and I don't want to say that to the next generation. I, I, mm-hmm. I just like I'm, I'm hoping that they can innovate and and that's why I mean I just honestly I've been I kind of I don't I'm not, I don't have any presence on TikTok or on Instagram because I just I don't post anything. But like I do see uh, young folks creating art, mm-hmm. and I'm like, wow, this is how I find energy mm-hmm. um, because it's just it just tells you that our community is moving forward um and that they have the space to be able to define a new narrative i want to thank mohammed for joining the conversation today let's end it here with this message of hope and admiration for the work that young people are doing to define what being a muslim canadian means for them and by them Today's episode was researched by Beverly Osuzua. Jade Sullivan manages our social media. We will see you next week. Bye.